Now to children's worship. We've been looking uh, over the last couple of weeks at Second uh, Peter, and uh, uh, after completing a series in First Peter, um, this summer uh, we're going to do a, a, a series on the Psalms called the Summer Series on Psalms, <laughs> um, and uh, we're going to do something a little different with it, so I can prepare you ahead of time. Um, uh, this week, uh, I, my my routine is to get in the office before everybody else, and because it's quiet, there's nobody there to bother me except God. And um, so I'm there. Uh, I've got my computer on, and I stumble across uh, a guy with an Irish accent reading Psalm 91 in the King James, and I thought it really. It was really helpful. It was really powerful. It was really profound. In fact, we're going to talk about that uh, in just a few minutes in the sermon. And the, the thing that I liked about it was it was in the King James. Now, maybe that's because that's the Bible I had when I was a kid. Maybe it's because the Psalms are poetry and meter matters, you know, lyrics kind of matter. And so um, we're going to, this summer, while we do this series on the Psalms, we're going to read those Psalms in the King James. So... Um, and I think, you know, you, some of you may hear that and think, you know, wow, that's, that's really terrible. But iambic pentameter, which is much of what it's written in, is actually very lyrical and actually very beautiful. So, um, we, um, so if you come one Sunday and, and you hear us saying, th- saying these and thous, um, that's uh, in our, uh, well, we're doing that intentionally. So you'll... I just want to alert you to that, but we've got about a month to go before we get to that. So this morning I want you to read with me Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. That text is printed uh, in the bulletin. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, Becky, go ahead and toss my first couple of things up there. So, today's Pentecost. If you weren't in here earlier, you got you missed out on the opportunity to, to, to see and to hear uh, uh, the uh, proclamation of the gospel, of re- to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and all those different languages. And one of the great things about Pentecost is, you know, we think of it as a, as a miracle of speaking, but it was really a miracle of hearing because Peter spoke in Aramaic and all the people who were there heard it uh, in their own language. And that is a witness to us, not just of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ, but it's also a witness to us of the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes not just to make you better, not just to indwell you and to make you more into the image of Christ. That's certainly true. But the Holy Spirit comes to take the power of the gospel and to raise people to life, to take those who are spiritually dead and make them alive. So on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to preach the gospel and enabled everyone present to hear it 
in their own language, and many, thousands as we read, to believe it. So uh, this is helpful to us, and it connects today with the text that we're, we're going to look at, because any interpretation of any text in the Bible that does not take the whole of the Bible into account and its focus on the redemption we have in and through the work of Jesus Christ is doomed to be false. Now, that's a lot of words, and you know what? We're guilty of a lot of words. We're Presbyterians. We love words, and I've got to tell you, you're going to hear a lot of words. We're going to read a lot of words here this morning, uh, but how ironic that it's about text and interpretation and about words. So uh, bear with me uh, this morning. It's helpful for us to know that any interpretation of any portion of the Bible has to be interpreted and connected with the main theme of the Bible, right? So, and what I mean by that is sometimes we come to the Bible and we're like, I'm looking at the Bible today as a manual on parenting. Or today I'm looking at the Bible as a manual on marriage. Or today I'm looking at the Bible as a manual on something else. And there's certainly instruction in the Bible about those things, but you can only look at those instructions as you look at it through the clear teaching of the gospel, that that Jesus Christ has entered the world, that God has determined to redeem a people to himself. Jesus lived a sinless life, died our death, rose again, and is coming again. So, Becky, take take my notes down. So let me me help you understand how this works. Um, I've said this before, and many of you have come back to me and said, you think I'm really foolish, but um, I think Moby Dick is the great American novel. I love Moby Dick. When I was a junior in high school, I was taking honors, uh, uh, American literature, English, and I I don't remember doing any schoolwork in high school, uh, really. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure I did. Maybe I did. I did something. I showed up. Uh, But what I remember is reading Moby Dick and being thought it was the most wonderful thing I'd ever read in my life. It's so powerful, it's so profound, it's so, there's, so, there's so much about it that was, that was really interesting. And so I've said that to a number of you, and they're like, well, Steve likes it, I think Steve's pretty cool, so I'll start to read it. And you read it, and you come back to me, and you're like, that's the most boring book in the world! There's all this stuff in there about whale hunting and whales! I don't, I don't care about that! And I'm like, yes, there is. But if you view the book as an instruction of whale hunting, you'll miss the main teaching, which is, don't let revenge and hatred get you or your friends. Because that's what it's really about. It's about the the vengeful nature of one man who was damaged by someone else, by something else, and that he would kill himself and everyone else to destroy that thing that injured him. Right, And so, so whatever else you may think about instructions about harpoons and lances and, and the rendering of blubber and all of those kinds of things, the fact of the matter is those things are, are parts of the story and they're informative, but you can't make that what the book is about. What the book is about is someone's need and drive for revenge. Well, the same thing is true when we look at the Scriptures, because if we, if we take the Scriptures as simply an instruction book about, about how to live a particular way, like I'm going to parent this way, or today I'm going to look at it as an as a instruction manual about marriage and those sorts of things, and we, we miss the big thing, we miss the main theme, we miss the primary thing that the Bible is about, then we will certainly find ourselves interpreting the Scriptures incorrectly and and maybe even falsely. Because what we know to be true, Jesus himself said, 
is that, that all of the scriptures point to him. All of the scriptures are about him. That's what he did on the Emmaus Road when he walked with those two dejected disciples. He opened up for them the, the clear teaching of the scriptures to help them to understand that all of that stuff in the Old Testament was really pointing to and preparing for him. So, so you have to get that straight, first and foremost, that the big thing that's revealed to us in the Bible is the determination of God to save us through the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, next slide, please, Becky. So the next thing that, you have to, uh, that, that we have to see about this is about how this works. Now, we are a confessional church. We have a confession of faith. And so I'm going to read to you here and help you understand a little bit about the nature of the Bible and the way we think about it uh, from our confession of faith. And so what, is, what we say about the Bible is the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary... For his own glory, our salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, right? Unto which nothing at any time is to be added. So we don't say, you know what, I've got some new revelation. Let me add a few chapters, the first epistle of Steve, you know, to the, to the, to the Bible, right? Uh, or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as revealed in the world, in the Word. And there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the Word, which are always to be observed. In other words, there are some things we do in church just because it seems wise to do it and, and, and Scripture doesn't speak to it. But go back, Becky. The main thing that Scripture tells us is what is necessary for God's glory and for our salvation is expressly set down in Scripture. Those things are, are very clear to us. And what we have here is the, the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. So in other words, there are those of you out here today who don't believe. And the gospel is going to be clearly proclaimed to you. Some of you might believe, not because I did a good job, not because the music was beautiful, not because of anything like that, but because we have the promise of God that when the gospel is proclaimed, he empowers that by the Spirit. And so we have the promise of God to know that some of you here today could get changed because the Spirit of God could illuminate you, could open you up and give you the ability to hear and believe the gospel, though maybe you've heard it your whole life, to actually believe it and to be changed, to be illuminated, to have your ears open and your heart open before God, right? So that is one of the things that we believe that is very clear about the gospel, and that's encouraging because whenever we proclaim the gospel, we're not just relying upon the facts that are there or the words that are there. We're actually relying upon the Holy Spirit to take that scripture and, 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 and to apply it to people's lives and to open them up and to give them the, the gift to just say, that's not just an interesting story, but that's true and I believe it, right? So, uh, next, next slide, please, Becky. So, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. All right, go back. Now, 
this is, this is the great news. Because then there's great freedom in this because, as Peter says uh, later on about the epistles of Paul, there's stuff in the Bible that's hard to understand. It just is. There's stuff in there that you're like, what is that talking about? I don't know what that means. What is that about? But the most important thing, that is the teaching about what it means to be a follower of Christ, the teaching about what it is that is essential for us to believe about God, is clear. You can't miss it. Even if you can't read. Even if you're not smart. You can't miss it. It's there. It's very clear. And not only is it very clear, but we have the, 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 um, the promise of God that he takes those words by his spirit and he applies them to people's lives. I got interviewed this week by uh, someone who's doing a Ph.D. dissertation in sociology. She'll be a great barista someday at Starbucks. Um, she's again, <laughs> and we, we had a laugh about that. <laughs> uh, uh, about uh, uh, about this church because she can't figure us out, and uh, so we talked very, very frankly, very plainly about uh, what what the, the the good news that Jesus Christ loves us, that He died for us, that He rose again for us, and it was, it was very hard for her to figure out all of this stuff. And when it was over, she's like, "I'm done. Thanks, you know." and and I said, you know, when you, when you publish this, can I read it? She's like, sure, you can read it. No one else will read it, but yeah, you can, you can read it. I said, I'd be glad to read it. And I said, before you go, can I do something for you? And she was like, eh. I'm like, I want to pray for you and your new husband. And she was like, oh, yeah, would you do that? And when I got done praying for her, you know what she said? She said, Amen. I told her, I said, you know, there are a lot of people like you in my church. She says, no, there aren't. I said, oh, yeah. People who have a religious memory who blew it off and all of a sudden run into some hard things in their lives and decide, huh, huh. A lot of people like that in my church. You'd fit in here. So the, the, the fact of the matter is, what we have is the promise of God that he takes the very clear things in the Bible that are indisputable. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's clear. That's what it's about, right? And not only that, but we have the very promise of God that he will take that uh, and give the gift of faith by his spirit that he will illumine and make alive the spiritually dead. Now, uh, next slide, please, Becky. The problem with this is for many of us, uh, 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 a lot of you, uh, and me too, the Bible's not enough. Uh, Many of us believe in the authority of the Scripture. We would say that we submit to it. Many of us would say that we believe that the, uh, the revelation of the gospel is there. Uh, and and we would dis, but we would disagree with what I read earlier that everything that's necessary for life's in the Bible because you would say you know what I, I, it's great that Jesus died for me it's great that He rose again for me it's great that He'll raise me from the dead someday but really what I need from Him is to tell me whether to buy this car or that car I, I need God's imprimatur on this decision. 
I, I, need, I need God to reveal to me the, these things. And, and so, so the fact that the Scriptures are there and the fact that Jesus died to give you freedom uh, seems, to, seems to, 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 well, we just lose it. And then very often what we will do, and this is, this is, this is, this is one of my favorites, is we will take to ourselves the authority that we will say to one another, God told me to do this, or God led me to do this, and so who am I then to say to you, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. The only clear revelation that we have is the word of God. So I came across this thing from this website. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a Christian uh, version of the website The Onion. So Don Farmer, age 43, reported Tuesday that he was recently led by God towards several things he really likes. And in fact, as a general rule, everything he feels spiritually moved to do, he coincidentally enjoys very much. <laughs> it gets better. For instance, last week Farmer was considering whether he should go to the men's golf outing or volunteer at the city food pantry when he says miraculously he knew just what to do. You could say, I really just, and, and I really just, boy, you know, I really just, I really just. Christians say, I really just. Just really, yeah, anyway. I just really felt led to lend my support to the church event. Farmer confirmed to reporters, it would have been great to be a volunteer over at the food pantry, but I had to say, here I am, send me, Lord, even to the ends of the fairway. Plus, I recently purchased a new driver, which I took as a definite sign. (laughs) Oh, oh, man. Yeah. Additionally, he felt led to attend the church's Super Bowl party last year, which it just so happens he thoroughly enjoyed. The next Sunday, Farmer was unable to sign up for the church outreach visit to the senior home or the juvenile detention center due to the lack of a nudge from the Holy Spirit, but did feel moved to participate in the men's group annual chili cook-off. He was also able to fend off several invitations by the church's leadership to attend the new discipleship class, sorrowfully noting that not only would the time interfere with his Tuesday TV viewing lineup, but that he just didn't feel as if he was being led to a diligent study of the Word in that season. It isn't always easy listening for that still, small voice that just so happens to send me to do things I want to do. (laughs) Admitted Farmer, would I like to volunteer for the house building project? Sure, but what can I do if the Spirit is leading me to come alongside Frank and fellowship by going to the game and said... It's good that we can laugh at that, uh, because for many of us, uh, this reflects, quite frankly, the way in which we kind of think about our lives, right? And so we would put the imprimatur upon something to say that this is absolutely from God, so that you can't argue with me, and so I can feel good about doing what I wanted to do all along in the first place. Which, by the way, when we begin to say, God told me, or God, you know, has led me clearly to do something that clearly the Word of God says not to do, you're actually in danger of something really terrible. Really terrible. Really awful. 
And so as I, I think as we come at this and we talk about the nature of the Bible and as Peter alerts and warns us against false teachers and alerts and warns us uh, against uh, interpreting the Bible simply to suit ourselves, we need to be very careful and very humble and very submissive before the clear teaching of the Word. So what Peter says here in 2 Peter uh, 1, 20 through 21 is that, first of all, you must remember this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So what does this passage tell us? This passage tells us that when you read the Scriptures, when you read the Bible, what you are reading does not merely come from a man, but also from God. Right? So we must ask the question, what does God want me to believe about Jesus and myself in this passage? If you just ask that of everything you read in the Bible, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Okay? Um, so the Bible is the writing of many different men, lots of them, right? Uh, but it's also far more than that. Yes, men spoke, as we read here, but they spoke with their own language and style. You know, there are, there are guys who are fishermen, guys who tend sycamore trees, guys who are shepherds, guys who are soldiers. Uh, uh, there are all sorts of different kinds of people uh, who wrote uh, the Scriptures. And God used each one's unique experience and, and approach and life and all of those things to communicate exactly what he wanted to write. But it's also far more than that. Yes, men spoke, but they spoke with their own language and style to a specific group of people at a specific time, but also with a view towards succeeding generations as well. Like we said last week, when Peter, uh, uh, Peter recognized that as he was re- uh, nearing his death, that these words that he would leave behind would speak to churches in succeeding generations, right? But Peter mentions two other dimensions of their speaking. First of all, he said they spoke from God. Right Now, this is the thing that we believe about this, is that not that God dictated the, the, the words of Scripture directly to everybody all the time, but that he used organically their experiences, uh, their, their, the things they saw, the things they heard, to, to communicate to people, to communicate to us the, his truth, what he wanted us to know, Right? So what they have to say is not merely from their own limited and human perspective. They're not the origin of the truth they speak. They're the channel, which is a good way to think about this, right? The channel has an effect on what passes through it, no doubt. No doubt the channel affects uh, the stream that passes through it, but it doesn't change it in the sense because it passes through and achieves that for which it was sent. The truth is God's truth, and their meaning, the meaning of these words is God's meaning, right? And so that's what we that's what we we, we trust. And so so the the what happens to us is is we kind of get in this situation where we think where we get confused or or we try to twist the Bible to make it say something about us or make it say something to kind of give us a sense that it's okay. And I I hear this all the time where people will say, I know the Bible says not to do this, or I know the Bible says to do this. But I'm just not. I'm just not. And, you know, after all, what's guys, God's highest uh, thing for me? He just wants me to be happy. Right? Yeah. 
so I think verse 20 is a warning not to play fast and loose with the meaning of Scripture. So I opt for this view because there are lots of people that, that think this is simply about just prophecy or simply about what the, the Old Testament. I think what Peter is speaking to here is the whole of the Scripture. And the reason why he's doing that is because there are false teachers that have risen up in the church. And, and one of the things that you have to see about these false teachers is they believe the Bible's the Word of God. And they use the Bible as the Word of God, but they twist the meaning of it simply to suit their purposes. Right? Next slide, please, Becky. Um, well, and one of the things that we know is that Peter had these false teachers in mind because in the very next sentence, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Right? Now, here's the thing that, you have to, to, that we have to see about this is, is that there can be people who can say, you know, I believe the Bible's true, but what they will take is uh, some portion of the scriptures or some, some obscure part of it, and they'll build a whole kind of theology or something around that. For instance, there are people who will tell you that um, based on the fact that Isaiah writes that by his stripes we are healed, that you should never be sick. And that if you really believe, you will never get sick. Well, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> now, it's just not, it's just wrong, right? And so, so what happens with that is people will often take the scriptures like that and build something about, uh, 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 build some kind of false thing like that. Or they may say to you, you know, God really wants you to be rich. God wants you to be uh, satisfied. God wants you to be happy. And, and, and he just simply exists to make you feel better about yourself. You know, the whole point of the scriptures is to give you, uh, uh, a rich, wonderful, pain-free life, which is not the case, right? So the key text for understanding how these false teachers interpreted Scripture is found in Second Peter 3.16. In 3.15, Peter says the Apostle Paul has written about similar things in his letter. And then he says there are some things in them, that is in these letters, that are hard to understand. So even Peter said there was stuff in the Bible that was hard to understand. Okay? That's fine. That's good. You shouldn't fret about that. If there are things that are hard to understand, they're hard to understand. Um, but, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Um, so I think what he's getting at here is that all of these things, uh, they, they matter, right? So when we come to the scripture, when we come to something that's unclear, or we come to something that we have a hard time interpreting it, the first place we go to interpret it is to other scriptures, to other places in the Bible. What else does the Bible have to say about this? Where, where else does the Bible speak to this? That is the way that we can get at this and, come and arrive at some clarity about what's true, right? So since Peter is concerned in this letter with false teachers who twist the meaning of Scripture to fit their own personal desires, the most likely meaning of verse 20 is that the prophetic Scriptures, any of the Scriptures, may not be handled that way. So no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It means that no individual is entitled to interpret prophecy or Scripture generally just according to his own personal whim. Right? So there are two principles to keep in mind here when you approach the Bible. The first one is... Humility, right? The first one is to have a sense of, um, of, well, 
submission before the Scripture. So if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God with authority over your life, it takes a good deal of humility to interpret it correctly. Why is that? Well, the Bible often requires us, <laughs> requires of us that we feel and think and act in ways that go against our natural inclinations. You saw people stand up here this morning and say that except by the gracious mercy of God, they're sinners justly deserving God's displeasure. You only get that by the Spirit of God, right? Um, and so there, it requires us to say and to believe things that we're not naturally inclined to do. So, so the only person who will own up to these uncomfortable teachings is the humble person who is broken and open. This is the heart of submission. Now let me just say something about that to be very clear. That doesn't mean that you have to get yourself broken and open before you read the Bible. Okay? Because oftentimes just opening it up and reading it will do that work for you. Okay? That's what happened to me Wednesday morning. I hear this Gaelic guy with a bagpipe in the background, reading to me Psalm 91 in the King James, and I'm sitting there crying like a baby. I didn't intend for that to happen to me on Wednesday morning, but that's exactly what happened. And you have, when, when that sort of thing happens, what is going on there? Well, you may think I need to go get an antidepressant or something like that, but I think what is happening there is the fact that the Spirit of God is taking those words and applying them, even when I'm not looking for them to be applied and to change my life. And secondly, we should always pray for the Spirit of God to help us. Now, here's the thing that's, that's clear about that, is the Spirit is not to add new information to the Scriptures, but to make us sensitive and to submissive what is already there. It's through men moved by the Holy Spirit that God spoke of old uh, spoke of old in the scriptures a long time ago. So today it will be people yielded to the Holy Spirit who hear his voice most clearly in the scriptures. And so what happens to us is, as we come to the Bible, not by looking at it in some way or another to, to make it fit into some sort of situation, but to make ourselves somehow or other to take what we read there, to ask the Spirit of God to give us the gift of faith, to trust God with this, and to hear and to see and to know that what the Scriptures principally teach is that God loves me, that He is for me, that Jesus Christ has come into this world, lived my life, died my death, rose again, and that He purchased me and that I belong to Him. And that we can trust the Spirit of God to take the truth of the Scriptures and apply it in our lives. Um, one of my professors in seminary um, told the story once. Uh, he um, was a pastor in, in South Carolina for a period of time, and he was preaching a series of sermons on Sunday night through the book of Romans. If you know anything about Romans, there's a lot of great theology there, a lot of great stuff about the cross and the nature of the gospel and the grace and mercy of God. So he had a, a man in his congregation who was very convicted during the sermon series that he needed to invite his neighbor, who was not a believer, to come to church. Because he thought if he could just hear Dr. Kelly preach on uh, Romans, it'll change this guy forever. So he finally gets the guy to agree to come. He invites him. Took a risk. I know it's a risk. Took a big risk. Invites him to church. Gets to church that night, opens up the bulletin, sitting with his friend, and he sees, for whatever reason, Dr. Kelly is going to preach 
on something out of Second Kings. <laughs> some obscure sermon that he felt led to preach about some king or some prophet or something like that. And he's like, rats! <laughs> this is terrible! This is going to be so boring. This guy's never going to want to hear about the gospel again. He's never going to want to come to church again. I blew it. I blew it. And Dr. Kelly, you stink. <laughs> You're supposed to be preaching on Romans. What are you doing? He's just furious. Now, he doesn't say this to his friend. His friend sits there, goes through the worship service, hears the obscure sermon about Azariah, Hezekiah, Meeliah, you know, whatever it is, right? And he believes. He believes. He believes. So what we have here is the promise of God to take the truth of the Scripture and the big story that all of Scripture is about. We have the promise of God that the Spirit will move, will change, will illumine, We'll give life to the spiritually dead. So when we submit ourselves to what we see, to what we read, to what we hear, we are saying, Spirit, have your way. Do your work. It's your word. It's your work. Change us as we approach it. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you poured out your spirit upon your people. Thank you, Jesus, that... You um, love us uh, and that you've made clear uh, through the witness of the Bible uh, what you did to demonstrate that love, what you did to redeem us, what you did to, um, uh, well, um, just bring us to yourself, to give us your righteousness, to restore us, to renew us. Lord, I pray that you would do that work uh, in us now. Lord, I pray uh, for those of us who find the Bible to be insufficient or who find the gospel to be uh, less than, uh, that you would, by your Spirit, uh, give us hearts that would submit. I pray, too, today for those of us who, um, well, have just uh, just used the Bible for our own personal uh, um, well, instruction book about how to do certain things rather than seeing it as the revelation of your saving purpose in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would convict us of that, that you give us insight by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray for all of us today uh, that by your Spirit you would give us the gift of submission, of humility uh, before your revelation, taking you as the Lord uh, and taking your Word as authoritative uh, in our lives. So just bless us by your spirit with that today. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you don't wait on us to, um, uh, well, to be broken before you, before you break us with your word. Thanks, thanks so much for that. So bless us today, we pray, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.